Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we are talking about co-op games, how to design a great cooperative game, a game that you can play with your friends and, and win together or lose together. We're talking to uh, a person I consider an expert in that field, Mr. J.T. Smith from over at the Game Crafter. Appreciate you joining me on the show today, J.T. Thanks for having me. Now, you, you've been designing games for how long? Uh, over 20 years. Over 20 <laughs> well, years. Sure. How, mm-hmm. many, how many games in that time do you think you've 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 created well actually how many games because that could be a thousand how many games have you, have you finished in that time to a finished state about twenty mm-hmm. I, I I've built probably a little over a hundred prototypes or games that I've taken to the prototype stage uh, you know finished twenty and only really two of them have sold uh, you know any large amount most of them have been very small you know either for for friends and family or just maybe a hundred copies or something like that through the game crafter yeah absolutely i was talking to luke laurie the other day and uh, one of his biggest advice nuggets of wisdom whatever was know that you're not gonna create or you're not gonna finish nearly as many games as you start like it's just not gonna right. happen and to be yep. okay with that don't get discouraged just keep fighting absolutely. keep going uh, <laughs> but so you created um what i consider one of the better games is out there right now the captain is dead uh and so kind of give me give me the background on that game where where did that idea come from the idea itself actually isn't mine um there is a guy in the uh game crafter community named joe price who came up with the idea he he created a game called bridge command uh and it was basically it was the core of what is the captain is dead um but smaller less refined uh and very much a star trek ripoff everything was very much you know like the names of everything the art from the game everything was star trek um and uh he i'm like this is my favorite game in the game crafter you got you have to finish this thing and i pestered him for about two years and he just didn't have the time you know like life changes and, and you have to go in different directions. Uh, so ultimately I bought that idea from him and started working on it myself and introduced, you know, I polished it a lot. I took the, the, the Star Trek element out of it, although, you know, it still feels Star Trek ish, but, uh, it was, it wasn't a direct blatant ripoff. Um, I, you know, I added in a lot of extra things that, didn't exist like tools and torpedoes and th- and things like that. There were only six characters at the time, and I brought it up to uh, 21. You know, so that there's a lot more, uh, a lot more replayability, a lot more depth, and just kind of overall polished the game. I spent two years basically uh, going to lots of con- conventions and playing it with thousands of people, and just getting getting it polished to the point where you know it was it was good. Yeah. So. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's a very interesting story. You know, you don't have that very often where, where a, a designer buys an idea or buys a game from somebody else. That's a really interesting way to kind of get into it. But you're saying mm-hmm. the, the structure was there and then you just created the game. You you put the bone, the, what well, had the bones, but you put the organs and the skin and all these different other things onto it and created a right. pretty, pretty great game. I remember my first experience with The Captain is Dead. Uh, I, saw, I saw it on Kickstarter. 
It looked interesting. I thought, you know, this seems like an interesting game, a game I could enjoy. Uh, and a friend of mine told me that he had backed it. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'll play his copy first before I make a decision. <laughs> and I remember, I don't know how long it was when it came out. And I went over to his house one day, and he said, you have to play this game. I said, what game? He said, the captain is dead. Oh, yeah, that space game. He goes, he looks at me, and he says this to me. He says, it's better than Pandemic. And I was like, I'm going to slap you across the face. Don't, don't talk to me with that blasphemy. That is a ridiculous <laughs> statement. There is no way. And we played it. And we got done. And I looked at him. And I said, let's play it again. Like, we, we have to play this again. This this was incredible. It was so much fun. I actually personally preferred over Pandemic because I like the theme. I like the stars, uh, you know, Star mm-hmm. Trek space stuff going on. I, that just It's more fun to me than being a medic and running around and, and healing cubes. Uh, you know, Pandemic's yeah. one of the greatest of all times for sure, but running around killing aliens just strikes me as more fun. I think it's the I think it's that you're down in it. You're yeah. in the fight with the Captain's Dead where Pandemic I love Pandemic, mm-hmm. so I'm not gonna say anything bad about it. I it's one of my favorite games. Uh but it uh it is a thirty thousand foot view. Absolutely right? And this one gets you right down into the fight. So I think that's where the emotional, that visceral feel comes from because you're in it. Yeah, definitely. And I was just about to say the same kind of thing. Pandemic seems a little far away. You know, you Mm -hmm. have this big overview kind of mindset. But Captain is Dead, like, you're on the bridge. You're in the, 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 the... engine room you're in these different places and these things are happening and it's it's just a lot more tense because you Mm -hmm. are in that right there in the minutiae so to speak and so was was the game a cooperative game from the beginning yeah it was always intended to be a cooperative game uh we discussed you know for a little while joe and i tried to actually work together on it but Mm -hmm. he just didn't even have the time to work together um and we discussed you know should there be like a traitor element or any hidden information or anything like that and it, it was always it it just didn't work you know this to be the spirit of what he wanted, which was a Star Trek game, although, like I said, there was no way we were going to get the license for that. Uh, so to be in that spirit, it had to feel like, you know, Star Trek, where everybody, you've got these heroic people that are all very skilled working together to solve the problem. Absolutely. What were some of the biggest challenges you faced in creating this this game? Oh, man, there were lots. Um, Interface was a huge challenge. Like, how do you represent that the system is online or offline? We went through 12 or 13 different variations of how that user interface would be because it doesn't just have online or offline. All the systems can also be destroyed. So there are three states, and that's a hard thing to represent in in a board. Um, Joe had this when he started. (laughs) He had just big decks of cards for the system. So you had, like... For instance, your shield, you'd have you'd have 12 cards for your shield and you'd peel a card off the deck to represent each percent that you were losing from the shield, that sort of thing. And that just was really clunky. Um, People didn't like that at all. Uh, And so, you know, we decided, well, let's do a slider. We went through different options with the online, offline, destroyed thing with having switches on the boards where you'd have like cubes that you'd move around. We had various decks of cards. We we tried uh, dials. We tried all kinds of different things to kind of represent all that. And so that was a challenge getting, you know, getting the UI across so that everybody knew because there's so much going on, right? You've got uh, seven different characters potentially playing. You've got uh, 13 different systems on the ship going on. You've got all the aliens possibly going in and the various sources of damage and anomalies and all that kind of stuff. So trying to convey all of that information in a clear manner, that's really, really tough. Uh, 
there are also things like um, what should happen with the comm system. You know, we tried elements, or I should say I tried elements of do I get, um, should people be able to talk to each other if the comm system is off, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the game is collaborative, you know, it's co-op. So that kind of ruined the whole experiment. If, you're, if you can't talk to each other because the comm system's off, you know, people aren't having as much fun. So in the, you know, to take, it takes away from the realism that, you know, the comm system's off, you can still talk to each other, it takes away from the realism, but it increases the gameplay. And so making those kinds of decisions where you, you know, you want to make it feel a certain way, but you also want to have everybody stay engaged. You have to make those kind of tough calls and, you know, edit out things. There was, you know, adding in the torpedo, bringing in that external element of, uh, you know, there are ships that are coming in, extra ships that are coming in and attacking you was a huge difference in how how the game played because now all of a sudden you've got these extra cumulative effects that are going on. And so trying to get all of those things to balance with each other so that you can't spiral immediately out of control. Like, you know, it, early on, it was totally possible to die before you started playing the game. Oh, wow. You know, the, the <laughs> deck, the alert deck would kill you right out of the gate. Yeah. And so getting that, getting it all balanced so that you're on the edge of your seat to the very end and you feel like whether you win or lose you feel like it could have gone either way that level of balance is really tough it takes yeah. hundreds and hundreds of play tests and statistical models and all that kind of stuff so yeah absolutely. i was going to ask you how many play tests do you think you did start to finish? <sighs> I, I would say nearly a thousand wow it was a lot. I yeah. took it to a lot of conventions. Uh, you know, I, there were days where I would play with some of my friends. They would come over, you know, like we'd take the day off from work and we'd play 12 to 15 games in a single day. Mm -hmm. uh, just trying to, you know, iterate. And sometimes we wouldn't play the complete game. We'd play to a point where we knew it was broken, change something and try again. Right. And so, but yeah, I, I would go to conventions. I would do, I have local, uh, four different local playtesting groups that I play with. And I would just also just play it by myself as a co-op game. That's one of the advantages is that you can very easily solo play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very so. true. That's a good point. It does make it a little easier in the playtesting stage because you can play it by yourself uh, and just kind of play every single character, every single role. Uh, yep. But, you know, the value of playtesting cannot be understated. I mean, it's just. It is, it is what separates a mediocre garbage game from a good game, and it's what separates a good game from a great game. It's just the yeah. number of hours and play tests and, and just doing it over and over and over again and playing it in different ways and playing it with different kinds of people. Uh, yep. There's some people that just want to break your game. They just want to see if they can do one thing over and over again and, and if that's going to get them the win or if that's going to just totally destroy everything. Uh, yep. But, yeah, it just cannot be uh, talked about enough that we need to play test everything we're doing. So – Tell me, tell me the advantages of making this game a, a straight-up co-op. Because you could have made it uh, a one versus many. You could have had two teams. You could have had the aliens versus the humans. You could have had um, semi-cooperative where everybody's kind of like dead of winter. You have your own goals and everybody's trying to do certain things. You mm -hmm. know. Uh, but what, what advantage do you get in a game like this for making it just straight up, everybody wins or everybody loses? It, uh, it immediately makes it accessible to people who haven't played before mm -hmm. because they can get help from all of the other people who are playing. Uh, and that that takes what is a medium weight game 
you know, which is may, way heavier than a, your standard gateway game and it make and it opens it up so that new people who aren't maybe heavy board game players would be able to be get into the action and feel involved, engaged like they don't have to um, they don't have to know everything mm-hmm. because somebody can help them. Right. And if you have these private goals and things, it makes it much harder. You have to know what the hell is going on mm-hmm. or you get lost very, very quickly. So, so I, yeah, that's a great point. It's it's not a gateway game, but it has basically a gateway mechanism that allows, mm-hmm. you know, people that have never played it. If you've never played any kind of games before, you can hop right in because people can they're on your team. So they can kind of help right. you help you along. How did yep. you how did you come up with the A.I. system? Because that's I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges if you're doing a straight co-op. You know, when you're doing a one versus many, well, that one, he is the AI, and you can kind of, you know, do certain mm-hmm. things, and it's, it's easier in certain ways to design it. But when you're creating basically an artificial intelligence for a board game, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's, there's a lot of challenges. So what, what did you do to come up with your system in, in your game? Well, uh, the, the original game had this, had this concept of, um, what did he call them? It was like decisions or something. It, it was kind of like the alert deck, but... Not exactly, but it was basically you're going through this this list of things that just gets continually worse over time, like the alert deck. But we decided uh, – I went through and built a statistical model of the thing, of how many times does this system get hit and how many times does that system get hit. Uh, and what are the odds that those two uh, – that multiple hits will hit the same system in the same time uh, or within a short period of time, that sort of thing. So it actually came down to a lot of math. To make sure that, you know, as you're traversing deeper and deeper through this deck, that it gets that the ship gets progressively worse to a point where you actually cannot fix everything. And so that's but not so bad that you're just completely out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, that's that's where it came from. It's it's really math. It's I wish I had a better answer that was like there's some philosophical thing, but it really comes down to math. Well, no, it makes a lot of sense. So, you know, what I'm finding talking to a lot of different designers is as much as a game is about creativity and designing and the normal way we think of design, it's also about engineering and creativity mm-hmm. through engineering. And so that sounds that sounds more like what you were going through. You're, you're working through engineering problems to, to mm-hmm. figure out these design issues. Absolutely. And obviously some systems are more valuable than other systems. You know, some systems like the shields will lose you the game. Mm-hmm. So how how badly you hit the shields is different than how badly maybe you hit the internal sensors, which aren't nearly as important. But uh, but the internal sensors can help you win the game where the shields just help you not lose. <laughs> so, you know, there's a difference uh, of balance there as well. So. Yeah, absolutely. And the players having to balance how long do we wait before we fix that? Like how long do we go before we make that important? Cause we need this to do this over here. And it gives the, the players a lot of really uh, interesting decisions. And, uh, right. and, and you're hoping, you're hoping that next card you draw doesn't blow up your ship. Like you're, you're, you're taking that. <laughs> so it's almost a, a push your luck kind of mechanism oh, yeah. in the game, uh, which it's a lot of fun. It, cr- it creates a lot of tension and, and I love it. Yeah. The, you, you can't, the big thing that I wanted to make sure that happened as I was going through and balancing the alert deck was um, dilemmas. That's what he called them. All right. Sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, as I built the alert deck and was balancing it, the big thing that I wanted to happen was that as the game progressed, you simply could not fix everything if you wanted to win. And so that's the big mistake that new players make with with the captain at regardless of what level, uh, you know, because there's a seven different dev- uh, difficulty levels. So regardless of the difficulty level, too many people try to keep everything online. 
And you can't. <laughs> if you want to win, you have to say, I'm going to sacrifice that thing over there in order to win the game. Um, and usually it's multiple things that you have to sacrifice. So that's a hard, hard choice for people to make. Yeah, don't be a completionist right. if you're going to play the captain is dead. Right. You will never win. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of, a lot of co-op games, they, they kind of turn into puzzles. It becomes more puzzly than game sometimes. And what I've noticed with some games is they, they become a not just a puzzle, but a predictable puzzle, you know, where the players know if we can get to this point right here, we know exactly how to work out the rest of the game to win it. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that, that kind of that takes away a lot of the fun. And so how did you create a game that didn't become a predictable puzzle? If you have enough interchangeable pieces, it becomes unpredictable. So, mm-hmm. it, the, for instance, the, the alert deck uh, goes progressively worse it's you know yellow to orange to red so you know it's going to get it's predictable in that way however the order of the cards within each of those colors is is random also you have 21 characters to choose from so the makeup of your crew dramatically impacts the 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 way you have to win the game because if you have uh, if you have a, a, this makeup over here you're going to have to keep these systems online if you have this makeup over there there's no chance that you're going to keep those systems online. So you have to use a different strategy in order to uh, stay alive. Like, do we skip anomalies and just try to win, you know, like, or do we research them? Well, we don't have any science people, so it's going to be really hard to deal with anomalies, (laughs) you know, that sort of thing. So having all of these different things that can kill you uh, in different ways, or at least harm you in different ways and having all the different characters and then having the progression be random as well all of those things working together makes it really, really hard to predict how things are going to go. Absolutely. And I love that your game has a lot of options, which creates a lot of different scenarios and different puzzles, so to speak, so it's not predictable. But you also, you didn't just throw in a bunch of dice to mm. make it crazy random. Right. That's what happens a lot of times. People just, oh, well, we'll just throw in a bunch of dice. That'll make it all different and random every time and all that. But that's that's not always a fun way <laughs> To play a game and it also creates can create a great deal of chaos mm-hmm. that that makes it a game unwinnable if the dice just happen to roll a certain sequence it's like well we we lost yeah <laughs> but your but your game is it's, it's there's some chaos and there's a lot of options on that stuff but it there's also not so much that you you don't feel uh, totally overwhelmed at any given time that's the goal <laughs> Absolutely. So w- what did you do to deal with the alpha player? Because that's one of the biggest issues with co-op games, having one guy that says, I know what to do, listen to me, and we're going to win, and then he just kind of quarterbacks the whole game. So what did you do to, to avoid that? I didn't uh, I didn't specifically do anything to avoid that. I think it's, um, I think it's silly to actually try to uh, avoid the alpha player. Instead, play. Like, don't play with the alpha player. If there's a guy that is having – that it causes that grief for you – Tell him to stop. If he doesn't stop, don't invite him next time. If you don't invite him, that obviously solves that problem. But there are some pieces in the uh, in the game that do deal with a little bit. Obviously, every player has their own set of things that they can do. So trying to keep – if you're playing with a bigger group, it's harder to keep track of all these different special abilities that are going on. And you don't have to play with complete public information. Like uh, some people, if they want to mitigate the uh, the alpha player – there's no rule that says you have to keep your skills face up, your skill cards face up. So you can absolutely keep those face down and that helps mitigate what the alpha player knows about what you can do because everything in the game requires you to have skill cards. And if you don't know what the skill cards are that they have, you can't alpha game them. So Absolutely. 
What do you do uh, to avoid the the whole like multiplayer solitaire? Like some games are co-ops, but you really feel like you're just you're playing by yourself, but you're technically on this big team. So, what did you do in your game to kind of uh, mitigate that feeling? I think the biggest thing is simply that no one character can win the game. You can't. There is no hero uh, because you have all these different systems that require all these different prerequisite skills. Um, the discounting system on each of the characters makes sure that different characters can do different things that the other ones aren't capable of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you have to work together. You have to collaborate. Well, I'm going to go do this. So you have to go do this other thing. The other aspect of that is a tightly controlled movement. Movement is a wasted action in the game. You don't want to move. If you can ever help it, stay exactly where you are. (laughs) And so the people who spend a lot of time moving around trying to basically do everything are going to fail. Whereas the groups that work together and say, I'm going to take care of the stuff over here and I'm going to take care of the stuff over there. Those people are the ones that win. Absolutely. And then, you know, thinking along those lines as well, if, if, you know, one one player isn't the hero, one character's not the better one, so to speak. Everybody's got their own advantages and disadvantages. What were the design challenges in creating these different roles? <laughs> the biggest thing, uh, you know, there are a lot of uh, con- kind of common memes that happen with, uh, with a co-op game, like... Uh, a lot of them, whether it be you know Pandemic or Flashpoint, Fire Rescue, those kind of games, you'll have uh, basically the dispatcher, the guy that can move stuff around, right? Well, that, that's a boring role. <laughs> right. So instead, I, I created the teleporter. Mm-hmm. So the teleporter allows you to move people around. It's a system in the game that everybody can use. Yeah. You can move other players. You don't have to, you know, waste your own actions. It's one of those like, I have an extra action. Where do you want to be at the start of your next turn? Boom. And so that allowed me to put more interesting things into the characters. And then the other aspect is by having all of these different systems on the ship, they all have their own unique properties that allows me to have a lot greater interaction between, uh, or a lot greater diversity amongst the characters so that every character feels unique. And then spending a hell of a lot of time also coming up with special abilities for every character. You know, we, we play tested, like just the diplomat alone, I think I play tested 11 versions of just the diplomat. And so, <laughs> and we had, you know, the cyborg, we had an Android for a while that was different. And we had a, a hologram or we had a different thing, the hologram, the cyborg and the Android all kind of were muddled together at various times doing these different things. And then we broke out. Now there's a cyborg. Now there's a hologram. There is no Android, you know? Uh, so going through all these different variations, kind of helps you figure out what you need to do just that comes back to that play testing <laughs> yeah absolutely you know one one thing i read the other day about this kind of topic ignacy from over at uh, portal games is talking about robinson crusoe and creating his characters and the different roles and he said his initial thought was create characters that are really good at one specific thing like a soldier that's mm-hmm. really good at hunting really good at fighting but he said mm-hmm. when he did that and he play tested it that the person that had that soldier had no fun. Felt like, pigeonholed. Yeah, they, yep. they spent the whole game doing the exact same ac- action over and over and over. They spent two hours doing one thing. And he said, okay, yep. so he, he totally changed uh, his roles and his characters and all that. Did you notice any of that kind of thing in playtesting with some of your characters? Absolutely. I mean, you basically called out one of them. The soldier really felt that way uh, when we were first playing her because uh, she goes – she's just really good at killing aliens, right? So that's what everybody thinks she should do. But what we did was we added in some discounts that made her good at command and 
tactical. So now all of a sudden she's also good at firing the torpedo tube. She can get battle plans, you know, so we're giving her three or four different areas with one uh, tactical built in. Um, she can also go up to the, sh the, the bridge and repair the, um, the shields, that sort of stuff. Uh, so those kinds of adding those extra little skill discounts onto her gave her some more opportunities that wasn't just pigeonholing her into killing aliens. And we did that with several of the other characters as well. Absolutely. So the best thing to do is give characters multiple, so to speak, multiple paths to victory, multiple options, right. multiple things they can do so they don't get stuck doing right. the same but thing. Don't, but don't allow them to do everything. Absolutely. You know? Limit their abilities. Have multiple choices, but not every choice. Absolutely. <laughs> No doubt. What 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 advice would you give somebody who's designing a co-op game or wanting to? What what would you tell them to kind of help them down that road? It's it's tough. Uh, I mean, designing any game is going to be tough. The biggest thing, obviously, is get your game to the table as quickly as you can and play test it with as many people as possible. If you're building a co-op game, you have to kind of go from the get-go. What do you want out of this game? Is there any kind of strife amongst the characters themselves, whether it be hidden information or uh, changing you know, different goals for each player or a traitor element, that sort of thing? Or is it purely co-op? How big of a game do you want it to be? Do you want it to be like a, a simple starter game like Forbidden Island? Or do you want it to be you know, a meteor game like Pandemic or The Captain is Dead? So you know, if you've figure out who your audience is and what the game is that you want to build that helps kind of narrow your scope and then you've got the same the same rules that i would use with any game uh which is you know things like cut out the things that don't matter uh, if you're if you're th right at the beginning of a game design you're obviously throwing in everything in the kitchen sink you're just trying every little thing oh i love that mechanic let's throw that in there but I would say keep cutting until it bleeds and then cut twice more, right? So get right down to the core of what your game is. And once you've got it down there and everything is working, then you'll know whether or not you can add something back in if it's missing an element. So that's that's my advice. Awesome, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, I want to talk about, uh, talk about the Game Crafter here in just a second. Do you have anything sure. else to add on uh, co-op games or the theory of co-op games? I don't think so. I think uh, you want to make sure that everybody's collaborating. You want to make sure that you can't have the hero moment. We talked about that mm -hmm. before. But uh, but really, it's just like any other game design beyond that. You're, uh, you, have to, you have to – there are some pitfalls that you can fall into. You can give people characters that are you know, non-interesting decisions because – and you can make it so that an alpha gamer can get in the way. And there's all those different kinds of pitfalls you can fall in with, with a co-op game. Just be aware of the pitfalls for the type of game that you're developing. And then that, that falls in, you know, regardless of the type. You know, worker placement games have a certain uh, amount of accounting that goes <laughs> that could go awry if you're not aware of it. You know, so every different type of game is going to have a different uh, element. Know what you're looking for. And so, like, I'm building the fourth episode of The Captain is Dead right now. And uh, it's a very different mechanic. It's a tower defense game, essentially. And so, but I'm trying to keep a, as much of the feel of the Captain is Dead as I can while also introducing this entirely new mechanic. And so trying to balance those things can be difficult too. Just, you got to know what you're going for. Like in my case, this is a, you know, this is a co-op game about her heroism, essentially. So you have to, if you don't have that heroic moment of, Oh my God, we just, you know, that you, you're, you're losing, you're, you're failing. 
So um, just know what you're going for. That would be, that's it. Absolutely. Well, I want to talk to you about expansions and how you come up with expansions in that process and all that. We're going to do that in the bonus round uh, here in just Mm -hmm. a minute. But right now, let's talk about the Game Crafter. Explain what the Game Crafter is for somebody who just maybe had never heard of it before. Sure. Uh, The Game Crafter is a print-on-demand shop where you can basically design your own board game and make it real. So you have an idea that you've been working on, you know, in your notebook or on index cards, that sort of thing. You basically can upload some artwork. It doesn't have to be fancy artwork and just be, um, you know, free artwork. We have links on our site where you can get free artwork. It can be just stick figures that you drew, whatever. You upload some artwork to our site. You might pick out some components like dice or pawns or whatever. And then you order a copy and you'll get a copy in the mail about a week later usually. So it's just a way to basically turn your idea into something functional that you can play and it's it's useful for a few different things obviously making a prototype that you can get to the table is nice because the nicer your prototype looks the more people are going to want to play it and that's a it's just people are drawn to pretty right that's right. just the nature of, of things and then it's also useful for short runs you know you want to send out copies to publishers or to reviewers you don't want to have to handcraft prototypes for those kinds of things you want to run a kickstarter or other kind of crowdfunding campaign and you need to make a few hundred copies for your backers you want to take a you know a couple dozen copies to a convention that kind of stuff. Uh, so we've got a, a little over 100,000 people in our community that are making games. And um, it's just, you know, it's a lot of fun. And it's a great way to get your game into this kind of physical thing that you can hold on to and looks real. You know, we make tiles, we make boards, boxes, books, cards, uh, basically anything you would need to make a game. Uh, we can make it for you. And it looks professional quality when you get it. Absolutely. And personally, I think it's been one of the most valuable things added to the game design uh, space, maybe ever. I mean, in the last 10 years, I mean, in a a very long time, because it gives gives everybody an opportunity to create a game, you know, to to take it off my notebook page and put it on actual cards or an actual board or with actual components. And then I can play this game and it looks like a real game. And like you're saying, people are far more likely to help you play test or help you uh, with a game when it looks legitimate in, in some, right. some way. And so you can't I mean, fight from, psychology. <laughs> you really can't. And you can get mad at people all day long, but it is what it is. Uh, and, and just the, op- the ability to, to prototype, I mean, to make prototypes is, is obviously an incredible, incredible reason to use the game crafter but then there's so many other uses as well that you were just going into one of the things i love to do is order a bunch of blank components from you guys and then mm-hmm. just use those so i'm yep. not constantly having to cut up cards or cut things out and put them in sleeves on i can actually have a, a a component that is blank and i can just draw on it or write on it and and have that ready to go without having to waste a bunch of time you know cutting out tiles or you know gluing stuff together and all that yep and, and another thing I love is anytime I have an idea for a game, it's like, well, how much would that cost? Like, is that is this idea too expensive, you know, to even pitch to a publisher? And I can go on the Game Crafter and just start going through the how much stuff costs from you guys and get an mm-hmm. idea. You know, it's not going to be 100% accurate, but it's an idea of how much a game is going to cost. So, you know, if I go on you guys and it's going to cost 100 bucks to make this game, okay, this is this is not the, the direction <laughs> I need to take. I need to do some some cutting and, and getting rid of some of these components or cards or whatever. So it's, it's just an incredible resource. And that's at www.thegamecrafter.com. Make sure you put the the in front of Game Crafter. And so, man, just thank you for everything you're doing over there at the Game Crafter. You're one of the, the original guys, right? You, you helped found the thing. Am I remembering that right? 
yeah, I started it. I, uh, I had to convince my partners that it was a good idea. <laughs> Luckily, I was able to do that, and uh, yeah. and we got it built, and, and now we're constantly adding new stuff. I mean, yeah. like lately we added laser cutting, UV coating, all that kind of stuff, linen texture. So, um, you know, and we've got a lot of really cool stuff that we're adding next year as well. So. Awesome. I look forward to seeing what the, the new stuff is. I love the tokens. I love the laser stuff you guys are doing. That, that just It ups the level again and again and again. Are those friends happy now that you convinced them? <laughs> yeah, they're ecstatic. And they love to tell that story, too. The, yeah. You know, the, uh, well, we thought he was crazy, but it turns <laughs> out people really want this. <laughs> yeah, 100,000 people and counting, apparently. Right, yeah. Which is just incredible. So thank you guys for everything you're doing over there. So we're going to sign off now. We're going to go into a bonus round here in just a second. So if you want to check out the bonus material, go over to BoardGameDesignLab.com. Click on bonus up there in the top. And uh, you can see all the bonus material from every episode that we've done. So, JT, really appreciate you, you being on. Thanks for talking about your game and co-op games and all that good stuff. And, and good luck with everything you're working on. Thanks for having me. And thank you guys for listening. Thanks for listening. Find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at BoardGameDesignLab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?